Welcome back to the G-Truth, the one and only good truth. And guys, I actually gotta start off by saying, sorry if I sound kind of uh, nasally, I guess. Uh, I'm feeling kind of un under the weather, but I'm still gonna be putting out episodes, because that's just what I do. Um, I'm So I'm gonna start off today's podcast episode by going over my mid-season awards for the NBA. So it's a bit past, like, mid-season area, but I might as well, you know, just just give you my thoughts on on who I believe should be winning these awards as we're uh, around or a bit past the 41-game uh, mark in the NBA. So I'm going to start off with the most important, oh, well, not most important, but most well-known award, I'll, I'll say, with the MVP. Most valuable player. I'm not... I, I believe it's Giannis. And yeah, you can throw in arguments for Kawhi, um, maybe Jokic, Harden, Curry. But there's multiple things that I factor in here. One is, how well is that team doing? The Bucks currently are the number one team in the East. And let me check their standing. 32-12. and 12, And they have the best record in the whole NBA. So, yeah. They're doing pretty well record-wise, so that definitely adds to Giannis's sort of um, resume or uh, yeah yeah resume for for MVP. And then also, just what he's doing is ridiculous. He's averaging twenty six and a half roughly uh, points per game. He has uh, how many rebounds? Twelve and a half rebounds per game and six assists per game. All while shooting at fifty eight, uh, fifty eight percent. And and yes, I realize that he takes a lot of layups, dunks, um, within like five five seven feet of the basket. Not a lot of three pointers. He's shooting seventeen percent from three, but just for him to be able to do that, and teams know that he's gonna be doing that, is absurd. It's just absurd. And and there's no one at all in the whole NBA that's putting up similar numbers to him aside from Russell Westbrook. But Russell Westbrook's uh, averaging around 21 points per game, whereas Giannis is averaging more, uh, 26 and a half. So if I say any players averaging 25 or more uh, over 10 rebounds a game and over 5 assists, th th there's no one. There's no one doing that aside from Giannis. And he's doing everything also on the defensive end. He has 1.4 steals per game and 1.5 blocks per game. All while only having 3.3 uh, fouls per game. Considering that he's big and is in the paint a whole lot. Guarding a variety of people. And his team, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, in the NBA, lead... Uh, not the league, but come second in points per game. But they do come first, though, in point differential, which means that they're just... They, they've been dominant. Now, do I think that they're going to win the finals? Probably not. I don't think so. But they are a very, very solid team, and he's leading them. I believe that he deserves MVP and has earned the MVP uh, award. But the way that I view it, it's... Giannis right now, at number one, 
At number two, I would, I'd say Kawhi. Be, because he's done similar things to Giannis. Not statistically, but he's... I mean, the Raptors right now are the number two seed. He does really well on, on the defensive end on, and on the offensive end. He's not as great of a, distrib- of a distributor as Giannis or a rebounder, which is a knock on him. Uh, but that's not his role. The, I'm going to say that first and foremost. And then I'd have Curry as third. And again, I mean, they're the number one team in the uh, West. And I mean... We we've seen the Warriors without Curry, even with uh Durant and Solaire. And it's not that same Warriors team. We know that Curry without Durant can can win games, but it's a lot harder for Durant without Curry to win those games against tough opponents as well. And so I think that adds a lot to his MVP uh resume and argument. Next I'd probably have James Harden or or uh, Nikola Jokic, I I have them there. Uh, so one of the two, and they they be um. Four and four and five, and then six maybe as like a sleeper who I don't think will win MVP at all, but you gotta have in the conversation is LeBron James, and if he comes back, and leads the Lakers who are currently in the ninth seed, just half a game out of the playoffs uh, behind. Uh, Utah Jazz, who have been playing, I mean, not not the Jazz, but I mean, the Lakers have been playing kind of poorly without LeBron. You 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 would say, I might say, you would you might say, um, if he somehow leads them to maybe like a top four seed in the West, then he has a serious case for uh, MVP. But as of right now, I believe that it is clearly Giannis. Next up is Defensive Player of the Year, and now. This is strictly defense, not offense. So that means yes, Rudy Gobert can be included in the conversation. But I actually would give this to Paul George, and there are several reasons why. He is number one in the NBA in defensive win shares, which means like he contributes a whole lot to his team winning, uh, especially on the defensive side. He is averaging. Although he's not averaging a whole lot of blocks per game, he's averaging half a block per game. He he is averaging 2.3 blocks per game, which is an absurd amount. He has a defensive rating of 100.9, which is not bad either. But also just his impact on, on defense, where he gets these steals, leads to fast breaks. And yes, he has Russell Westbrook as a teammate, which can, which helps him out. A whole lot on, on the defensive side, especially since um, Russell Westbrook is seventh in the league in defensive win shares. But I do think that uh, it, it it does have a serious. I mean that Paul George does have a serious case for uh, defensive player of the year. Now, when all the numbers come out of like uh, players, like when he's guarding players and how well they shoot, then we'll see like uh, how much of an argument there is. But as of right now, just looking at the way he's playing live uh, without statistics, and then when you include the statistics into it, it's just absurd. He makes pretty nice plays defensively, getting to passing lanes, make, disrupting uh, players' dribbles, making sure that they take tough shots or pass out of shots, stuff like that. 
And then in the same conversation, you can say Giannis could also be de- Defensive Player of the Year. He's averaging, like I said before, 1.4 steals, 1.5 blocks. He's second in the league, just a bit behind Paul George uh, in defensive win shares. And unlike Paul George, he doesn't have any teammate uh, within the top 10 of players uh, in defensive win shares. Malcolm Brogdon, his teammate, is uh, 14th. But aside from that, he doesn't really have anyone who's contributing as much as he is on the defensive end. So there's definitely a case for uh, Giannis there. Um, Giannis has a bit less of a defensive uh, rating for for himself. Um, yeah, but I think that's really just between them two. And you can throw in Rudy Gobert there. Um, he's averaging close to a steal and then two blocks. Uh, per game, you can throw an Embiid in there. Um, you can throw maybe Anthony Davis in there if you really wanted to. Who's averaging one point eight steals, two point six blocks per game. But the one knock on Anthony Davis that I have is that he does not have as much. Uh, uh, yeah, he does not have as much defensive win shares as all the other guys that I, that I mentioned. Um, but yeah, th- th- those are where I think that the voting's going to be more around. But I, but I would give it to Paul George. Um, just more because of his impact that, that you see visually. Next would be Rookie of the Year. And I think, hands down, this is the easiest one to give out by far. is, is Luka Doncic. I mean, Trey Young has been playing great, but he's not putting up numbers close to Luca's. Aiden's been playing pretty well, but he's not close to Luca at all. And really no other rookies have really done anything crazy. I mean Marvin Bagley doesn't play that often and he's been injured. Um Jaron Jackson, who I believe was drafted number four, you don't hear too much about him mainly because they're in a small market in Memphis, but you don't really hear too much about him. You heard a lot about him uh, earlier in the season when he was knocking down crazy threes and doing really well. But Luka's been great throughout. Um, he held the... Or, or or kept the Mavericks close in close, com- in close competition with the Warriors. As well as with the Spurs. Even though they did blow that, that lead uh, early on against the Spurs. But, you know, he plays pretty well. Uh, he's currently averaging 20.3 points per game. On forty three point six percent shooting, and thirty seven point two percent from three, as well as six point seven rebounds per game and five point one assists per game, and one point one steals per game. He's I I would say that physically he's not there yet. He's he looks kind of slow, and his dribbling looks a bit funky and a bit weird, but it it works for him and. I mean, you can't really complain if 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 you're the Mavericks. You can't really complain. They stumbled upon the gem, um, in the draft, and he's he's just been playing great, and he's, in my opinion, the clear rookie of the year. Next up is most improved player of the year. I think that this one's just. I mean, you, I mean, you can easily throw Derrick Rose in there, and Derrick Rose has upped his game for sure, but for me, it's between Pascal Siakam, and De'Aaron Fox. Pascal Siakam is currently averaging 15 points per game, 
on 57% shooting, 33% from downtown, 6.8 rebounds, 2.9 assists. Now, if you want to know what he averaged there before, he averaged half of the amount of points, so went from 15.2 points per game that he's averaging now to 7.3 last season. Um, He did not do as much defensively. He averaged less rebounds, uh, shot the ball worse. Um, But in free throws, uh, two-pointers, three-pointers, and part of that's like statistically for points and rebounds and steals, assists, blocks, all that like it's getting bumped up now, mainly because he's playing a lot more minutes. But also it's because he's just straight up a lot better than last season and the year before that. Now the other guy that I feel that that should be in the conversation is De'Aaron Fox. He's averaging seventeen point nine points this season. Um, forty-seven percent shooting, thirty-seven point six percent downtown, three point five rebounds, seven point three assists, one point eight steals, and point five blocks per game. Now, I think the more interesting case with Darren Fox is that he is up to his three-point game tremendously, going from a thirty percent three-point shooter to now a thirty-eight percent three-point shooter, around that range. He's a lot more efficient. I would say, and he's a lot more active on the defensive end. He passes the ball a lot more to his teammates, uh, going from 4.4 assists per game to 7.3 assists per game. Um, the rebounding, yes, it got upped, uh, but I'm not too concerned about that, mainly because he plays the point guard uh, position, and his uh, points per game went up as well. Three-point uh, percentage went up as well. He took he, He's taken one more three-pointer per game, but he's seen a significant increase in the percentage of his shots going in from three and as well in two. And his free throws had marginal um, improvement. But I think that by far, it I, I would give this award to Pascal Siakam, mainly because I've seen more of a jump in his game than Darren Fox. And Pascal, and I mean, when it comes to um, voting... For, for all these awards, it, it comes down to narrative, and Pascal Siakam has more of that narrative where he is uh, arguably the third uh, the uh, third guy on on that Raptors team, where it'd be Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, and then Siakam. Um, so, so that's why I have him winning the... Uh, most improved player, but you can you you could easily give it to De'Aaron Fox as well. Now, sixth man of the year, I haven't really been too interested in, uh, but you could easily give it to Lou Williams, Eric Gordon. I personally really like Demontis Sabonis, even though the stats don't really show in his favor too much. But just watching the games, his impact is absurd on on, on the uh, on on the court, and you can also give it to Dennis Schroeder. Um, how, how, however you want to say his last name, doesn't really bother me, but go ahead. But those four guys, I believe, can easily win it. You can also throw Derrick Rose in there if you want, um, but that's more of like a throwback, though, I think, um, and more of a respect sort of vote, and that that would be given for him. Um, I think that this could easily go to Lou Williams, 
but I would love to see it go to uh, Sabonis or Schroeder. And next up was Coach of the Year, and this is easily uh, Mike Budenholzer, who is the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. They went from, you know, a playoff team last year that, like, we knew was going to be a playoff team, but last year they were kind of uh, sketchy, not really not really there. They got bounced in the first round by a Boston Celtics team that was extremely young, had no playoff experience, was missing their two stars in Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, um, and they got bounced. And now this year, they seem to have a lot more uh, drive, and they brought back mainly the same players, except for adding, I believe, Dante DiVincenzo in the draft, as well as Brooke Lopez. And it's very, and for me, it's just seeing that change in their style of play, as well as the results that they've gotten defensively and offensively, um, is is why I would have their head coach, Mike Budenholzer, as the coach of the year. That will conclude this segment. Now I will move on to the next segment. Now I don't really know what to call this segment, but let's call it questions, questions, and questions. Really, I I, I only got two questions that I want to pose, and maybe you guys can answer it yourselves. But are the Detroit Pistons a legit playoff team? Now, for me, I do not believe that they are, and there's multiple reasons why. That, that that I believe this. One, their two best players are Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond. Two, two guys that are not really known for their defense, really. Maybe Andre Drummond's known for his defense, but not really too much. More known as a rebounder and a bad free throw shooter. And then Blake Griffin, more of an offensive player who does really well on the offensive side of things. And this is clear that they are lacking on on that sort of thing, um, especially on the offensive side, uh, ju- just by looking at the stats. They are the seventh worst team in points per game. Let that sink in. They are the seventh worst team in points per game. The teams that come... After them are the Miami Heat, Phoenix Suns, Orlando Magic, Cleveland Cavaliers, Memphis Grizzlies, Chicago Bulls. All those teams, except for the Miami Heat, have a losing record. And the reason why the Miami Heat are in the playoffs with a non-losing record, but also a non-winning record, they're at 500, is because they also have a, a spectacular defense. The Miami Heat's defense gives up only 106.1 points per game, while their offense puts up 106.2 points per game. So they win the point differential there. Whereas the Detroit Pistons have an average to subpar defense, allowing 109.6 points per game, uh, which which falls in the mid, yeah, in the middle of the whole NBA. Uh, which is not really what when you want in a a team that is trying to you know show that it's capable of being playoff threats, and I believe that if they were to make the playoffs, 
they'd have a good chance, not of winning everything, but of, you know, getting out of the first round just because of the way that their team is organized. But the problem is that they have no significant score aside from Blake Griffin. Andre Drummond can score, yes, but is he a reliable scorer to put up 20 points every single night like Blake Griffin is? Nah, he's not. So that's why I think that the Detroit Pistons are really not going to be a playoff team. Uh, But I like to stick with the East still. I'm going to move on to the uh, Washington Wizards. Now, the Washington Wizards uh, intrigued me because we had a similar question uh, like this that I heard around different sports uh, broadcasts and news and all that stuff is... Are the Washington Wizards a better team without John Wall? And for me, I'd say, overall, no. On on paper, no. But do they function better as a team? Yes. Which is why I think that they got to find a way to let go of John Wall. He is not good for that locker room. He's not good for that team chemistry environment and the way that they should be playing basketball. I believe that with John Wall, it, it, it's a similar case to the Eagles with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Nick Foles being Bradley Beal and uh, John Wall being Carson Wentz. It, it's an imperfect analogy, but it'll do. Where we clearly know that John Wall is better than Bradley Beal just by looking at the tape. Even though he's not as great as a three-point shooter, he still is, I think that we would all agree, a better player. But by removing him from that system and having Bradley Beal be the key player in that system, it adds a lot more to that whole team. It adds a lot more to the ball movement of that whole team. When when uh, John Wall got injured against the Pistons, the the game after that he didn't play and well since then he hasn't played and he's off and he opted to uh, get surgery on it so he's out for the whole season which means that this is really the time for Bradley Beal to prove that he is the guy and that he should not be traded for anything and that he should remain a Washington Wizard and that John Wall is the guy that needs to be traded. Right right out of the gate they lose to the Bulls. A bad loss to a really bad team, not really helping his case. But they but they went on to beat the Hornets, who are in the playoffs. Also not a great team, but then they smacked the Hawks. They lost against the Heat, and in that game, like I said, the Heat just have a really good defense. They don't do anything crazy on offense, but they have a great defense. But then they went on to beat the Thunder. They lost to the 76ers. In Philadelphia, but then they came home and they beat the 76ers. And then they lost to the Raptors at home, but they only lost that game by two. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that game went to overtime. Yeah, it went to double overtime. So that shows me that they are a team that is more capable without John Wall. They are more capable of of beating good teams and great teams than John Wall. 
the, the, the thing with John Wall on that squad. They're they're gonna play the Knicks tonight, and I believe that they should win that game just because they're a different team with Bradley Beal than they are with John Wall. And part of it is that John Wall does a lot of dribble, 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 going to the paint, hand it off to the guy in the paint. Kind of what Russell Westbrook does or did a few seasons back with uh, with a Stephen Adams. John Wall does something similar where he'll dribble, 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 and hand off to the center um, and rack up the assist. But what it does is it leaves the other players on the team kind of just standing on the three-point line, just put their hands in their pockets, twiddling their thumbs, not really doing anything. And it it makes it really boring and uh, hard for players that aren't able to do anything or not uh, being involved on the offensive side to be motivated to do anything on the defensive side of the basketball. Which is why I think Bradley Bill does a lot more. And we saw this last year uh, when John Wall was injured, that the Wizards' assist numbers went way up because they share the ball a lot more and they want a lot more games as well. Uh, so I think that they are definitely a better team without John Wall. Next up, I want to talk about the two, well, not two, but three games that I think were really interesting to watch and just uh, look at in the NBA today. I'm going to start with the Raptors and Celtics game. I would just like to say that this game was more about Kyrie making a statement uh, and ensuring that he's the leader of that team and that they can pull out with a win. That That's about it. Rockets-Nets game... That showed more of James Harden's got to do something else then. You know, keep on scoring like this. You can't shoot 23 free throws and expect to win the game. I mean, you can. And, I mean, Spencer didn't, didn't really hit a lot of big shots. But James Harden's got to be a lot more efficient than he has been in the past few games. Even though he scored over 50 points, he's got to be a lot more efficient in doing that. The Warriors-Pelicans game... Warriors came back from 17 down. Curry scored 23 points in the third quarter. It was just crazy watching that game. Um, And I think that this is a good game for the Pelicans. They scored 140 points. And they were finally healthy for once. They had Alfred Payton and Miritich uh, finally there. Miritich, Julius Randle, Anthony Davis all played really well. Drew Holiday also played pretty well. It's just the Warriors. The Warriors played really well. Seven Curry had 41 points. Clay Thompson played really well. Durant played pretty well, like always. And Draymond finally hit his threes. So that was the main takeaway. And they have Boogie coming back uh, tomorrow. So it should be good news for them. Looking forward. And that will be it. This is the G-Truth and G-Truth out.